This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to fubarradio.com. You're listening to Femi on Fubar Radio. Throughout these difficult and complex negotiations with the European Union, I have had one goal in mind to honor the vote of the British people and deliver a good Brexit deal. The top reason people voted to leave the EU was to take back democratic control over our laws. Isn't it the regrettable but inescapable reality that this deal gives even more away? This is the right deal for the UK. It delivers on the vote of the referendum. It brings back control of our borders, our money and our laws. And it does so while protecting jobs, protecting our security and protecting the integrity of the United Kingdom. A little over a year ago, we were confidently told by the government that by the end of the Article 50 period, we would have a trade deal. The International Trade Secretary said it would be the easiest in human history. Instead, we have 26 pages of waffle. Nothing in this political declaration changes the hard reality of the withdrawal agreement that gives the EU a continuing veto over the unilateral power of the entire United Kingdom to do free trade deals or to take back control of our laws. The British people want this to be settled. They want a good deal that sets us on course for a brighter future. That deal is within our grasp and I am determined to deliver it. Hi, it's Femi. Welcome back to The Floor is Yours. It's Femi from Our Future, Our Choice, the youth movement to get a people's vote on the Brexit deal. Now, last week we talked about knife crime. We had Drill Minister and Siobhan Benita, and we talked about the fact that we seem to be um, have a serious problem in our country regarding just how bad that problem is getting, and nothing seems to be being done about it. In fact, it's gotten so bad that um, a couple of days ago, a group of people actually took it upon themselves to form a vigilante, vigilante group in London and they're roaming the streets to try and tackle the problem. Whereas, in fact, as we discussed last last week, what really needs to be done is we need to have investment in local policing and in youth services to make sure people have things to do and can contribute productively to, to their communities, that sort of thing. But this week, we're going to be talking about migration, a fun topic which has seemed to be kind of relevant these days, especially in relation to that oh-so-great topic of Brexit. Um Our narrative around immigration has been pretty broken, I think. I mean, for the past two, three, well, forever, pretty much. The narrative that they come here, live off benefits and clog up the NHS. That's just been what we've heard day in, day out. People like Nigel Farage have been peddling that for years. And it creates a really, really, well, for want of a better word, hostile environment for people who want to come here. And... Especially in relation to Brexit, because I mean, people, they talked about how um, they come here, live off benefits, clog up the NHS, and how we couldn't control immigration as an EU member. And that's what Nigel Farage said. I remember him saying it in the referendum campaign. He said, uh, uh, between now and June 23rd, we're going to make one simple point. it is impossible to control immigration when they come here. There's nothing we can do to stop unlimited numbers of people uh, coming to this country and enjoying the same rights and privileges as all the rest of us. Basically saying immigration was completely uncontrolled. Whereas, in fact, turns out that that's not entirely true, that the EU ha- actually might have some rules about that. Let's have a listen. I'm, I'm reading right here Article 7 of the EU Citizens' Rights Directive, which says that in order to come here without a job, 
you need to have sufficient resources to not become a burden on the social system system of the, of the host country or have comp- and and have comprehensive medical insurance yeah it, so, it's theory um, and practice so you, isn't it it's theory and practice yeah it's in theory and practice but then you've got to ask yourself if the government hasn't been implementing eu made restrictions on immigration then who should we be blaming? Should we be blaming the EU or should we be blaming the government? Well, what about blaming Tony Blair? What about blaming the very person who today is suggesting things can be done differently? He's the guy that opened it all up, you know, in every way, and not just Femi to the EU. He he did it to the whole world as well, because he wanted to fundamentally change British society. Well, I suppose he succeeded with that. Um, Femi, in theory, you're right. In theory, under European treaties, there are restrictions that that can be placed. But the truth is, hardly anybody does. That's true, but then is the answer Brexit? Is the answer to leave the very institution that's putting in place the restrictions that we well, need? Or is the answer to basically give, know what? give more power to the government that hasn't been implementing restrictions? In fact, logically speaking, if the EU has restrictions on immigration and the UK hasn't been implementing them, leaving the EU would mean more immigration. And right there you have Nigel Farage after the Brexit referendum admitting that everything he said about immigration before the referendum was actually held was was just completely a lie. I mean, it, immigration wasn't the only thing people voted on, but it was definitely a large part, the idea that we needed to stop free movement, the idea that immigration as an EU member was completely uncontrolled. And there you have Nigel Farage admitting that we could control immigration as an EU member, but the UK government simply chose not to. And then the further thing is, why do we need to control immigration? To what extent? Because as it currently stands... Um, they're not really causing a problem. In fact, it says here, that a recent survey was done which says that EU migrants, migrant workers, contribute £2,300 more per year to our taxes than, Brits, than British citizens do. So it seems that immigration is a benefit. And in fact, I went on Nigel Farage into the studio with him. Apparently, I can't stay away from the guy. And I actually had a chat with him about this. And he was saying how immigrants or citizens from EU countries are are such a a burden on our NHS, that they're clogging up the NHS, and that things would be better if, if we had fewer of them. And this is what happened. Would you accept that a population that has risen beyond anything we've ever seen in this country before has put massive pressure on the National Health Service? I'd say that EU migrants make up 5% of the UK's population, and yet they make up 10% of our our doctors. So rather than EU immigration being something that threatens the country, it is literally keeping it alive. And so right there you have it. Citizens from EU countries make up 5% of our population and 10% of our doctors. So this idea that immigration is a threat to the country, when not only are they making us richer, but they're literally keeping us alive, it's been completely wrong. But I want to know what you think. The floor is yours. We need you, we need you to email in at femi at foobarradio.com, tweet at foobarradio, and call in on 033-0223-0200. So, what do you think about immigration? Now... Given that Nigel Farage has led us down this road regarding, regarding Brexit, given that we now have a situation where the, the current plan is to end free movement, people often forget that immigration and migration, it works both ways. I mean, right now, as EU citizens, we have the right, the birthright, to live, work and love in 31 countries across Europe. That's because we're EU citizens. Now, I mean, my, I remember my first job, I was working, doing a ski season in, uh, in France, and uh, because because and they pay for your accommodation, they pay for your ski pass, and you basically just work the hotel. Did everything from customer services to uh, cleaning toilets, and also because I don't drink, I actually made money 
So this isn't some elite thing. This is something that I was paid more or less minimum wage just to get by whilst I did a ski season. And these are the sort of opportunities. It was my, one of my first jobs after uni. And then when, while I was at uni, I did, I did a ski season. I did, um, I did uh, Erasmus studying in a French university. And because it's Erasmus, it's like, um, and language courses tend to be about 90 80% female, uh, which meant, meant, meant that was the, pretty much the most romantically complicated year of my life. I got, I got, uh, cheated on by, by a German. I got, what, ha- what else happened? I fell in love with a, with a French girl, um, in the last few weeks, and then she turned out to be a lesbian, but that seemed to be a common theme in my life. Um, but yeah. So these sorts of opportunities, and maybe that last one wasn't a particularly a great opportunity, but yeah, these sorts of opportunities are what we're taking away from ourselves. Right now, we need to have the most opportunities we can possibly have. And let's have a look at what we're doing with this Brexit thing. Because Theresa May, her current plan is to introduce an immigration policy after Brexit, whereby in order to come to this country, you pretty much need to have, be making at least £30,000. Now, the joint the joint statement that they made regarding Brexit between London and Brussels says that any future migration policy will be based on full reciprocity, which means that if we set up a rule, the EU will set up the same rules. So if we set up a rule which says in order to come to this country to work, you need to be making at least £30,000, and the EU does the same, how many of us make £30,000 as a first job? I mean, I, I can tell you right now that when I was scrubbing toilets in that French hotel, I was not making £30,000. This Brexit thing that was supposed to be a way to, to stick it to the elites, it's created an elitist system. I mean, uh, the Premier League was talking about whether or not it might, Brexit might make it harder to get footballers from across, across, the, across Europe. The Premier League isn't going to struggle. Cristiano Ronaldo wants to apply for a visa in Spain or, or, or France. They're not going to say no. But you, looking for, looking for a job in, in a French hotel or in a, in a, in a, in a hotel resort, in um, a beach resort in, in Greece or something, you're going to have a much harder time than Cristiano Ronaldo. We've just created an elitist system in the name of sticking it to the elites. And I think that's tragic because our, our narrative around immigration has been completely broken. You've got this impression that it goes one way and that, and that somehow um, um, immigrants are a problem when they're actually enriching our society, not just economically, but culturally. Um, and it's just really, really broken. We've forgotten that by, by doing this, I mean, right now, Im- the whole of Europe is our home. And in fact, I often refer to Brexit as knocking down 97% of your home and claiming victory because we've just walled ourselves off. Well, those of us that aren't earning 30K, we've just walled ourselves off. So I want to talk about, um, about immigration. We've got some great guests here. We've got Nimco Ali, who's a, for, a former child, a former child ref, refugee, and she, and she also um, is an activist and a writer. We've got uh, the Labour PPC for Chingford and Woodford Green, Pfizer Sheen. And we've also got grime artist, grime artist Marcy Phonics. And we're going to be talking about migration. But first, I want to hear from... Uh, <laughs> An awesome guy, also known as Donald Trump. I just think it's uh, changing the culture. I think it's a very negative thing for uh, Europe. I think it's very negative. I think having uh, in Germany, and I have a great relationship with Angela Merkel, great relationship of Germany. But I think that's uh, very much hurt Germany. I think it's very much hurt other parts of Europe. And I know it's politically not necessarily correct to say that, but I'll say it and I'll say it loud. 
Yeah, he thinks that immigration is a general problem. Immigration in general is a problem, and despite the fact that um, a his wife is an immigrant, b he is the leader of a country of immigrants, and yet he's managed to say, make this narrative that they're causing a problem or changing changing our culture. If you take citizens from EU countries, as I mentioned, they make up five percent of our population. British culture is not under threat. It's only it, it, the fact that we have people coming here simply means that we now have opportunity to interact with other cultures. And if anything, that only makes our culture better because we can actually place it in context by comparing it with other cultures. I think the idea that other cultures, that multiculturalism is a threat to our culture is frankly wrong. And I think um, we've also got Ice Cube. He's done a, he's done a song about, about Donald Trump, which I think you might actually find pretty interesting. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. That nigga is So, joining us in the studio today, we've got Marcy Phonix, Gry Marcus. He also went at uh, Quasi Quarteng on, on Channel 4 a, a, few, a, few, a couple months ago, which I, really, I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, we've, we've also got Pfizer Sheen, the PPC for Chingford and Woodford Green. Um, and also we've got Nimco Ali, former child refugee and also um, activist. My question, I think I'll start with Pfizer, is what needs to be done about how we talk about immigration? Wow, we need to really turn this completely around. I think it's been one of the issues that we've ignored the most for the progressives and on the mm. left. We've done things um, apart from ignoring it and giving space for the right to mm. make the sort of comments they've been making and leading, leading us to this point where, you know, whereby racism has been on the rise and racist attitudes has been on the rise. We've been going backwards in many ways. Um, we need to stop saying things like, migrants paying more money than they take out because mm. actually that plays into an idea of migrants just simply as economic agents. We need to start talking about love. We need to start mm. talking about community. Mm. We need to start talking about our history. Now, why is a half Pakistani, half Fijian girl here? Because of the British Empire, right? Yeah. We have a history yeah. Yeah. in this country of both emigration and immigration. Yeah. And even the way Theresa May was talking about freedom of movement this week. You know, mm. My brother just moved to Sweden, by the way, yeah. from here. We act as if they're all coming here, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's one of the conversations that we have to completely turn on its head. Um, and it's probably, even as an economist, um, it's one of the things that I worry about the most in terms of the conversation we're not having and the narrative we're getting completely wrong. Yeah, well, I, I 100% agree. And your point about how we need to change the narrative in terms of only seeing uh, people from other countries in an economic context in terms of taking in, um, putting in more than they take out, I hear you, but what, what would you say to people who, I mean, we do have the problem that there is this narrative that people who are struggling in society, the people who are who working class, they feel that the more people that come in, the less there is to go around. That's the, that's the feeling. And the, and the far right will, will talk to them. So don't we need to also talk about the economic benefits but, and to make, basically counter that narrative that they're taking away their meal ticket? Yeah, we need to talk about the economy and how mm. the economy is working and that mm. it isn't just, I think people think of it as a, a certain amount, a set amount. Mm. The economy expands. The yeah. more people that come, the more people that spend in the economy, exactly. the bigger it gets, right? So we can talk about that. But if you look at campaigns where we've changed minds Mm. and hearts right that's what we need to do on this topic and we have to evolve involve um emotion Mm. we cannot just make it a strict economic argument and that's one thing i've learned you know i as a kid um 
I thought that the way to change the world is, you know, do what my mum and dad told me, which was like, you know, work twice as hard and do a master's in statistics and get a PhD and know all of the evidence. Hmm. The truth is the things that really stick with people are stories. Um, You know, when I talk to my talk to my aunt about if she thinks that the reason why benefits have got hard is because of Eastern Europeans you know mm, that's yeah. the attitude that people have and when I say you know I can say to her statistically speaking da, 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 that mm. won't work when I talk to her about who looks after my uncle yeah, yeah. you know a Nigerian and an Eastern European and she talks about how much she appreciates them and how mm. lovely they are mm. that's what changes her mind yes 100 100%, 100%, 100% hear you uh, Marcy Yes my brother I saw you on I, I saw I think it was Was it Channel 4? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah When yeah, you yeah. were Quartain talking about um, The Windrush generation And one of the points that, Which you didn't actually Touch on at the end mm. Was he kept saying Oh we don't know How, how, how many people Have been deported um, mm. if, if, in relation to Windrush mm-hmm. isn't, isn't that the problem? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he yeah. used that as a defence Yeah It's not a defence <laughs> It's not In fact it's a lie Yeah it's a mm. lie which was clear at the time it was a lie anyway. But if, if that's the case and they don't know, then that is the problem because they don't care enough. So if it was their people, if it was British people, everything will be listed properly as they always have um, our passports. Even from young, like we always had to have our medical card or our birth certificate or you couldn't even see the doctor without it because they were so strict on how they keep records in the country. So how, when it's time to get rid of people, you don't have any records. It doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Sounds crazy to me. Absolutely. Um, what would you say needs to change about, 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 things, about the way we talk about immigration? Um, well, honest conversations, I think that's what um, Faiz was talking about. And I think we do have to have those conversations when we have to have a diverse um, um, conversation and reality about it. So for me, it's half my family are refugees and the other half were born here or born in America. Mm. So ultimately, it's about having a conversation. For me, we, let's talk about how people come here. So there's people that come here by choice and people come here by force. So, so for example, I tell people on a day-to-day basis that Syrians would rather be in a peaceful Syria than in Dudley or East London or all these mm. other kind of places. So ultimately, we have to understand that sometimes pe- people are here because they need to be here, not the fact that they want to. And I think a little bit more humanity and compassion. So when I find myself as, um, as a refugee, so I was a, a very privileged kid and I said that I went from sleeping in a gold cot to living in a to living in a council estate mm. but ultimately there was a lot of kindness and there was a lot of strangers that didn't necessarily know my mom didn't know my family but were there to help and support yeah. and I think in the last um, almost 20 um, 30 years since I was a child refugee the conversation has changed and I think the inhumanity and the mm. way that people are treated is one of the things that I find really disheartening yeah oh, I, I, 100% I mean one of the, one of the issues is we the narrative is very much not treating people as people. It's we we see. I mean, they use terms like um, swarms or the migrant mm. wave or things like that. Yeah. And they forget that there are individual people mm. in that story. And the people, what needs to happen is people need to actually see themselves in that situation. And, the, and they also need to. So, for, so for example, there was that um, really horrible image of um, the young child that, exactly. that washed up on the beaches mm-hmm. of um, in, on, on, um, on the beach. And what was really interesting from that was everybody was like, oh my God, he's got really nice shoes, so why is he leaving? I'm like, because there's fucking bombs falling yeah. down. They're not leaving yeah. because... They, so there's a whole, like, the inhumanity of the conversation mm. and also the, the concept of... Um, how the UK is changing. So, 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 um, so for example, since 2010, the largest population of black people in the UK are from African de- descent, mm. direct African descent. So whether they came here like me as a child or whether they were born here to parents that were born in Africa. So the conversation is changing and there are diversities. So you can't, 
You can't basically celebrate Mo Farah, but yet at the same time want to close the door to mm, refugees. Yeah. You can't say I'm your friend and welcome you to number 10, but yet at the same time say that the Dubs Amendment is not going to be passed and we're going to um, halt kids that are in Calais. So it is ultimately, it's about challenging your friends. For me, actually, ultimately, it's about challenging my friends. And yep. I do have a lot of friends that hold some interesting views. <laughs> so <laughs> honest conversations have always the way that I've had the dialogue about things like immigration. Absolutely. I mean, Real talk. what we said about how um, we just don't really fully appreciate what people who were, for example, fleeing Syria have actually gone through. I've often said, imagine if, I mean, people often say, why don't they, why don't they stay and fight? Um, why don't they stay and fight? But imagine if Theresa May started carpet bombing your local high street. How long would you stick around? Mm. You'd be off. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be off. But but even on an, another point, like what she was saying, um, which was fantastic, some proper real talk. Mm. Um, England itself mm. was the immigrants going and invading back in the mm-hmm. day. We yep. were the ones that were going into India and in the West Indies and doing whatever. Yep. Do you understand? But yet, because even like letting people come here, it's like they let people come here. It's like a trick. They let people come here, just like Windrush, help build up the country. Give us what we need. Give us what we need. And mm. then when we don't need it anymore, yep. we're good now. Ah, bye-bye. Off you go. Do you it, see what I mean? It's one of the things that scares me, this idea that post-Brexit will reach out to the Commonwealth. I mean, come on. Mm. <laughs> it's not like the way that we've historically treated the Commonwealth countries has been great. I mean, mm. I, I said, I actually tweeted a couple hours ago that maybe, just maybe, countries whose economic superiority in the world came about through the violent invasion of other countries shouldn't comp- complain when those people then see that, see that success and want mm. to come here and work. Well, see, so I'm not going to name him, but there was a certain minister that we had a conversation the other day and he said, oh, one of the main reasons why people are coming over here is because of the fact that they see how we're living in the West and like there's, there's, there's digital media and all these things. And trust me, as an African and somebody that spent the last um, three years in Africa mm. um, going back and forth, nobody really wants to leave. The reason why these people, they're, they're not coming here in order to settle and take over. A lot of people are coming here in order to work because we've actually ignored the fact that we're not supporting Africa with great leaders. Mm-hmm. So all the leaders that are in Africa at the moment that are creating the issues that we're facing mm. are people that, that were put in there by either the British or the Americans. Mm. And what happens is as soon as Africa is a little bit successful, then, then we get rid of those leaders and then civil war breaks out and then poverty. So nobody's coming here because they think that we've stolen their gold and all these things. They just mm. want to make a little bit of money and go back. And of trust course. me, like Africans or my mother or my grandmother and all those people have never mentally unpacked so they're all intending to go back so mm-hmm. I think there's this, there's a, it's a bit of a fallacy to assume that once you come here that you want to stay forever I think mm-hmm. people come here for a reason and we mm-hmm. need to understand that as well yeah. I mean that's the, that's the point right so people don't often understand the hand that this country has had yeah. n- not just historically but now in different parts of the world mm. and whether that be through you know the way in which we might meddle in politics but also the way in which the economy works and our current trade deals are set up and our current and so you know my biggest worry about brexit and um, especially when you get the kind of ideologues like hardcore brexiteers mm. who quite frankly you know their thinking comes from a kind of loss of the empire yeah. mm. um and you know literally liam fox you know called his new um trade deals that he wanted to put out empire 2.0 i mean this is this is i mean they changed it as soon as it came out and there was a big backlash but that was that is where it comes from and Mm. so you know it's a very difficult conversation because not only do we need to put out a narrative now that says look we do things better by addition you know when you bring different cultures and Mm. peoples together Mm. you can get something better than the sum of its parts and that's what we've Mm. got in the uk in in the the best of it um Mm. and 
but also in why we look this way like you mm. say like i've said like it's emigration as well as immigration mm. um and that's part of our history and we do owe we do owe the world in all kinds of ways because mm. because of the way in which the british empire has built up its built up its wealth exactly i mean ne- and because we've had such a negative attitude towards people from other countries, I mean, the, the stats show that immigration has dropped significantly um, since 2012 because we've, we've created that. Well, again, the, the only word you can use is hostile environment. Mm-hmm. And we do need these people. <laughs> I mean, um, quite simply, I, I mentioned before how citizens from EU countries make up 5% of the population and 10% of our doctors. And since the Brexit vote, uh, which is pretty much a big middle finger to anybody who wasn't born here, You've seen a 90% drop in nursing applications from people from EU countries. You've seen one in five doctors planning to leave because... And they keep, they keep saying things, well, oh, I didn't mean you. I didn't mean you. We want to keep the doctors. We, don't, we, need, we need that particular profession. Pick and choose. Yeah, pick, pick, pick and choose. But remember... You are sending a mis- massive middle finger to everyone that doctor knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're creating and the, an and the family. He's Why come would you from. want to come here yeah. if you see that, right? If of you're course. reading that yeah. Listen, Brexit uh, vote and racism and xenophobia. Listen to this. I was in a hospital last night. Mm. A family member we had to take to the hospital yesterday. Nothing crazy, but I was there. And I'm telling you, I, I reckon about 85% of the nurses and doctors I saw mm. were all immigrants or members of families that had come over. Yeah. Maybe. 20% max, 15 to 20% max would have been British people working. Mm. So these are the people we're running to. Save us, save us, fix me, I'm bleeding, I'm dying, fix me. Oh, I'm fixed now, all right, cool, bye-bye. And yeah. do you know what's interesting about yeah. that is the fact that there's another thing about um, um, draining the resources of countries. So a lot of those um, nurses were also trained in developing countries. Mm. So what we do is, well, actually, we don't even train them here, so we steal them and mm-hmm. then pay them shit. It's, and that's one of the things that I find un- uncomfortable in terms of the conversation is that we will let India, Pakistan, um, in- Indonesia, Malaysia invest in their people and then we'll take them away and then we don't necessarily mm. treat them. I think, so from, like, I have... What, what I found really interesting about um, the whole Brexit debate is that actually I'm a Remainer that's now just like pro process. I'm not pro Brexit, mm. but it's um, getting, but what it was it was ethnic minority communities and the and and the xenophobia with them with Eastern Europeans. I think that's what I found really uncomfortable was mm. we were ironically about two weeks before the vote we were in O'Neills. We were well, like, as, as you do mm. we were like, queuing outside and there was a Nigerian guy who was in the queue. Yep. And he said, and then I just said something about Brexit because everybody's talking about Brexit. I said, so how are you going to vote? And he's like, well, I'm going to vote leave because I'm trying to send all the um, Eastern European pedophiles away. And I'm like, what are you actually <laughs> talking about? <laughs> what are you actually talking about? And then Indian, like, you know, Indian friends are voting Brexit because they were, and for me, that was the most uncomfortable thing because one of the things that I said to somebody is once you open that door hmm. and you start othering other people, then that door's going to stay open and then we are going to be the next one. So yeah. even mm-hmm. if you even if you want to get rid of people and have those kind of conversations, you are literally signing your own death warrant in that whole dialogue well, as well. I've, 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 had, I've had this point. People keep saying, um, just let, let Brexit happen because you've got to give the far right their victory because otherwise then you'll have Nigel Farage getting back on his soapbox. I'm like, no. I mean, you, you, I'm going to butcher this poem because I, I never remember it properly, but first they came for the socialists and I said nothing because I, was, I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the Catholics and said nothing because I wasn't a Catholic. And it goes down this list and down this list and eventually, then they came for me and there was no one left to speak out for me. It, that's not... They, they started with immigrants from EU, EU countries. They're not going to stop there. Yeah, but the far right... Okay, so it's... I feel really uncomfortable in, in, in the sense that we keep painting Brexit as this racist campaign and that was, and that was mm. basically why everybody voted um, for Brexit. Mm. And for me, it took me a year and a half of real, like, you know, 
um, I was moaning, I was like, I was just upset. I was hurt to the fact that we had done this to ourselves. And mm. so then I crossed over and I went to the other side. And there are a lot of actually young people, there are a lot of decent people that voted for Brexit because they believe in this country. Mm. And that's when I really found it interesting because I wasn't born here, I grew up here, I spent 95% of my life here. But ultimately, the concept of being British and believing in something mm. that much. I come from a, a non-recognized independent country in the in 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 the Horn of Africa, and that idea of nas- of nationhood mm. is similar to what's happening in the UK. So the idea that Nigel Farage is actually Brexit is what he wants us to believe. Mm. But there are there are broader um, co- um, conversations beyond that, and that's for me. That's why I've become a little bit more realistic about the fact that. If we if we overturn Brexit, then what else are we going to overturn? So I think that thing about them coming for us is if they come for this vote, then what other vote are they going to overturn in the next 10, I mean, 20 years? I mean, that said, though, I mean, I think we have to be honest about the way in which that campaign was run. Mm. You know, they weren't doing as well as they wanted to do. And then that's when they came out with all the posters mm-hmm. of Turkish people. My, my husband's family is... Turkish and they you know they were like they were like well how comes we're being used now you know we've been thrown under the bus Um, and you know when you look at the polling and the data um, you know unfortunately of course not all people that voted Brexit are racist but you know you looked at the data and it said of those people that voted Brexit 70% said they were willing to lose money to have some drop in their income to have less immigration and that's when you realise like how deep this is this isn't just about Brexit this is about a story we've been told not just by our politicians who have have not, you know, not come mm. out and, and spoken about the truth of this history of this country, but also in our TV on our TV screens. You know, why is it that my husband, who's an actor, every time he plays a, a character and because he's Middle Eastern looking, you know, mm. it's always a bad guy. Mm. Why is it mm-hmm. that, you know, we've let Channel 4 do all these shows where the Romanians are coming and the rest of it called those things absolute clickbait? You know, this has been years in the making. And so, we, you know, in a way, we can't blame people because... This is, you know, in the ether, this is the story, you know, blame immigrants. Don't blame your boss. Don't blame government policy. Mm -hmm. Blame... And, and, yeah. that's, and that's why we are where we are. And, and the thing that I want to make really, really clear is, and we, our future, our choice, we tour the country asking people why they voted for Brexit. Now, yes, there's, there's, an, there's, an, and there's an immigration thread there, but I make the, this point really, really clear. People who voted for Brexit, on the whole, not racist. But there is a difference between the people who vote for something and the and the campaign that led them to vote for something. The but, that reason- but, that, but that wasn't the official campaign, and I and I worked on the Remain campaign, and I mm. think it was it, it it was our fault for not making a better case, and also for ourselves for being up ourselves, assuming that every, that the metropolitan liberal elite, which I'm, that which we are part of, like living mm. in North London was going to be the yeah this is it I remember we were driving to Glastonbury after we voted mm. and everything was like leave, um, remain 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 and then we got into Gloucester and it was like these massive leave signs and I was like literally I said who lives here anyway and that was my that was my yeah, yeah. kind of like entitled opinion so we um, in, t- in terms of the fact that the only so as, as, as you said at the beginning the only reason why these conversations have been able to get as big as they are is because we've been silent we've been having conversations in our yeah, dinner in tables bubble. in our little bubbles yeah. in those things yeah. and not really going out there well, wait, and challenging but that, that's one of the largest problems about the Brexit vote in and of itself I mean I I was born in Darlington so that I'm from the northeast. I grew up mainly in the West Midlands I am not a Londoner at all. In fact, I have a London. I have a cousin, and he, I will mention him by name. When he was twelve, uh, I told him I lived in Birmingham. His response was, "Oh, never been to Scotland before." <laughs> um, there is too much London centricism in yeah. this country, and, and, and we don't. We haven't. Been, we've just been speaking to ourselves, and like I said, the, 
yes, it wasn't the official campaign, but to, but but Nigel Farage's um, poster was racist by definition. Yeah, it was. It was horrible. It made me cry, and mm. I and I did, and that was the mm. first time that I felt unwelcomed in this mm. country, and like and that was horrible. But I think to say that Nigel Farage is the keeper of Brexit, or no, the no, person that on 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 that on that, on that I do hear you. I mean, the, the main problem that led to Brexit. I mean, I've been very very upfront about this. It's regional inequality. Yeah. That's the main problem. And you can literally trace it with a line in terms of the areas that, that have been the most deprived, the areas that have had the least support from Westminster, those are the areas that voted for Brexit. It's people who were fed up with a political system. Now, immigration comes into that because when you're fed up with a political system and you have people telling you that the reason why the system isn't working for you is the fact that there's there is the idea that there's more there's there's less to go around because of the immigration, then you're gonna then you're gonna look for something to blame. But the fact is the reason why things have been so bad in those areas is because you just haven't had the focus on those places. No, and also we've we need to get rid of the first past the post system. Yeah, I think, yeah, 100%. Like, I, I there's like places where the labor or conservative it's just literally it's like a ping pong, it hasn't changed for over 20 years. I think it's and also I think it's actually incredible that certain MPs can get 90% of the vote. That is like that is actually ridiculous. Where, where is the choice in those conversations? And mm. I think that that is the problem that, that, that Westminster's not necessarily working for his constituent MPs. And we have conversations saying, Oh, do you want Jeremy Corbyn or do you want Theresa May? I'm like these are MPs, they're not presidents, so we're not directly electing um, mm, that mm. person. So we forget how the political system works. And I think that's, mm. I think that was intentional on our education system in order to keep a lot of people ignorant um, about was, how it works. I was going to say, you made a great point. They don't know how it works. Yeah. People mm. don't know how it works. Mm. Like the, the, the young kids, the young generations, the people who follow me, for example, mm. the people who uh, they, they will be into what I do because I remind them of their self. Mm. I don't know everything about politics at all. Mm. I only went on Channel 4 because I speak for us. So I'm just about the people. It yeah. is what it is. I don't know enough about politics because mm. of the way it's been delivered in this in this country, yeah. the way it is. Yep. Like, it's so separate from the people. It's a joke. Mm. Yeah. This is why they don't relate with the politicians. This is why people like Kwasi and people like that seem so distant because they've never really come into the communities and represented us. Mm. The, the politics in America, for example, is, is very different. If you go to the, sh- the corner... Everyone knows what's going on, mm-hmm. and it's not just with Trump, from Obama to Bush, whatever. The people in the corner, uh, in this, in the estates or projects, mm. all the way to the people in Manhattan or whatever. Everybody is into it. Everyone knows what's going on. They mm. all understand. If I speak to my daughter here and the kids in her high school, they may know Corbyn because he might have popped to the school once or twice, whatever. Mm. And the teachers maybe speak about them, but they don't really understand. Mm. When I was growing up, we didn't really get anything to do with politics other than that's those people. It's not for See, us. See, that's and that is the, and that is the problem is with. The, like you know with the constitutional changes the fact that you directly elect your local MP and that's and this is what I keep saying to people is like do you know nobody even knows who their local yeah, a lot of people they don't even know who their yeah. local MP is yeah. um, unless he um, commits some kind of horrific crime and then he's in the newspapers or whatever it is but ultimately yeah, yeah it's just I, I would I would want kids to be educated about our political system and also about finances as well those are two mm. things that Very I think important are screwed up at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. We've got we've got some text here. So remember that you can you can join the conversation uh, by by tweeting at Fubar Radio uh, and calling in at zero three three zero two two three zero two zero zero. We've got text here. For example, deporting people from the Windrush generation has zero to do with Brexit. Also, when you when you look and see dead kids in, in, in Yemen killed with weapons that that, that may sold Saudi Saudi Arabia, do you do you really think Queen? Um, or are you going to claim that she's serving the will of the people? <sighs> yeah, that's... I think what, you, what they're talking about there is the fact that we have a problem regarding the way we see people from other countries. The fact that we could take in people in the Windrush generation, use them, and then discard them. The fact that we can allow 
us to contribute to selling weapons that we know are being used to bomb hospitals and schools in Yemen, but it's not a problem because those people are far away and don't look like us. And it does come, it, it, is, it all ties to the issue of immigration because if we don't see people as people, then we just end up head down a really dangerous road. I mean, I think, yeah, that's the point there about, and I always disagree with that, like deporting people from the Windrush generation has zero to do with Brexit. I think mm. actually that underlying anti-immigration sentiment is played out in all kinds of ways. So how mm. would they have got away with a policy called hostile mm. environment yep. had we not lived, if we weren't living in a society where that's okay to use that kind of language about, mm. uh, about people from abroad, um, then then, you know, that wouldn't have happened. And at the same time, yeah, immigration was one of the factors that led to Brexit. So I think this does have something, and it is a slippery slope, you know. I think, like I say, because we haven't had this conversation, I had someone tell me that um, he was working on the Remain campaign um, and within workplaces, and when they were told that when the issue of immigration comes up, just change the subject. You know, we had, mm-hmm. um, and I just joined the Labour Party in the last couple of years, but before that, you know, we had we had Mug saying immigration controls on there. We just mm-hmm. let this go, right? We just pandered mm-hmm. to them. You know, there was this interview with Hillary Clinton in the Guardian, yeah, where yeah. she's saying, "Oh, Europe should um, be harder on immigration in order to we're not the way to deal with the far right and to deal with anti-immigration sentiment and racism and xenophobia is mm-hmm. not." to pander to those yeah. views mm. is to offer something else yeah. um, and you know we're just talking about politics and politicians absolutely look I'm running against someone that you know lives in a mansion with the lady and you know I just went I'm standing somewhere where I went to the local schools I knock on doors I meet my old schoolmate's brother and mm. you know it's it's very very different mm. and, and when you come from those communities and you better understand what's going on then um, you know that Gives that gives a different type of flavour in our representative mm. politics. I agree, though. Of course, I you know I'm all for proportional representation, uh, proportional votes and stuff, yeah. and, mm. and you know we need to do something about House of Lords, etc. Um, but you know what we really need is to have. So my pitch to people is to have more people coming in to really represent. Who can really represent those communities? We mm. cannot just keep allowing voices that don't understand those places that are using those places for their own platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and it is our and. You know, simultaneously, the worst of times and the best of times, right. because we are seeing those people come come forward. Yeah, and people tap into um, the fact that people, for example, in the northeast don't have a voice. Um, they feel that. Um, I mean, if you take Sunderland for example, I know we talk about it a lot, but Labour will always win there. The Tories never lose, so there's no political incentive to actually do anything yeah. for those areas, and people in those areas see that their industry is, has, has been has been going down they see that there isn't enough jobs and that's why the edl and your tommy robinsons go to areas like that because they know that those people are looking for someone to blame and also you have but that's the thing so i um not the fact that i wanted to win so i was, so i stood for the women's equality party in mm. um in north london and what was really interesting was that if you look at certain pockets of places that have always stayed labor mm. and um so we were doing door knocking on the places where like you know the people were engaged and they were going to vote and then there was a block in in, um, it's in Harringay, so just um, I think Wood Green. It was Wood, it was Wood Green, mm. and so both of those are, are, are served by Labour candidates. So we were on a panel, and the white um, female um, incompetent was asked about certain things. She's like, "Oh, I'll ask David Lammy about that." And I'm like, "Why are you asking David Lammy? He's 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 Tottenham." Mm. And I found out that nobody had actually even bothered to go door knocking in Wood Green because the whole point is they were going to vote Labour anyway, so there's no mm. point doing that. Yeah. The Conservative were like, but they've never changed their views in mm. the last 20 years, so we're not going to bother door knocking there. The Lib Dems are like, no, we're going to concentrate on this part. Because, and I thought, these people are the most marginalised people in this city, and yeah. nobody is even bothering, but they still turn out and vote. And I'm just sitting there thinking, half the Muslim I'm like, why are you voting for people that don't even bother knocking on your door? Yeah. Like, just, like, you know, I, 
I want you to exercise your right to vote, but just go spoil your ballot, do something. So there is a there's a lot of complacency within both political parties. That's why they were against the AV votes and everything else because yeah, yeah. they knew that it's either going to be the Conservatives or Labour that are going to be in power for the next like in a millennia. Yeah, and it, and it makes it leaves people feeling powerless because you know that so many votes around the country simply don't count. Mm. I mean, I'm I, I'm from the constituency of Sajid Javid in Bromsgrove. My vote has never counted. Mm. Interesting enough, on like talking about um, the Home Office, and, um, well, well, it's not necessarily such policy, but in the um, so um, Australia have just said now, so basically somebody like me, if I commit a terrorist act, if I'm suspected of committing a terrorist act, I can be stripped of my nationality and like you know, so do a um, a reset to default to what you were at birth, basically. And since 1983, any children that are born in this country don't get an automatic. Um, the nationality so you are whatever your mother is mm. and it was really interesting that the home office we are talking about wind rush we're talking about all these things but we also need to talk about the number of young children that came here as refugees or whatever they were who are actually losing their national are losing their nationality and being mm. deported for either they commit the crime or they whatever so those are the kind of conversations that I want to talk about immigration is not just necessarily what, what happened to people in Windrush, just like my generation's now under threat. If Australia can say, so Australia now is saying that if your parents were born in a different country, even if you were born in Australia, then you can be banned from coming in if you've traveled to Syria, if you're, if you're suspected of actually being a terrorist and all those yeah. stuff. So it's It's, it's like you're never British then, right? Yeah. It's like you've always got the possibility of it but, that, but, that, but that's what I mean and nobody's saying something and I just thought it was really incredible to sit there with I'm thinking like whether it's Sajid whether it's all these other people I'm like mate that's like that's you going back to a default setting is like if you are in charge of a society where the fact that they can throw me away then who's mm. going to be next so it's, it's one yeah. of those conversations it's, it's really interesting how politics changes people that you expect them to see the realities and to go there and to I always say the be the antibiotic in, in the parties that you want to be part yeah. of and really change mm-hmm. them and go in there but ultimately sometimes I think the party system is a lot stronger than the individual will to do something yeah mm-hmm. and, and so regarding I think it, it comes down to um, um, education the fact that we don't get taught the tools that we need to actually make better decisions because if People were made aware of just the extent to which um, citizens from other countries actually are contributing to the society and don't have, for example, don't should don't deserve to have their, for example, their nationality stripped from them. Don't deserve to be um, subject of a of a hostile environment. Then we wouldn't have a, such an anti-immigration narrative. I mean, you, you've you, Marcy, you've been working on educating young people, mm. um, especially by especially via music. Yeah. Um, what, what have you been doing, for example? Do you know what? I just use my platform, my musical mm. platform, to. Um, to speak to them without mm. so so see what I said earlier about politics and that when I was growing up mm. I wasn't that interested because of the way it was delivered to me mm. do you understand through just House of Parliament on TV or whatever I didn't see anyone like me mm. so I couldn't relate so I just switched off yep. so what I do is my thing is just to rise them up mm. I've, I, I've got a power I've got a power up our, our youth and the way I speak to them is through my music. So, for example, I've got a song called Liberties, uh, and it and it's talking about the Windrush uh, situation. It's talking about these things, and I'm letting them know, yo, you've got a voice. Like, you're not this small little person they make you out to think you are. Yep. You're not. So, listen to this, and you can be like that tomorrow. It's the same as, like, some of my people were like, ah, oh, you're a madman. How could you go on Channel 4 and speak to... Bro, he's a human just like me. Mm. I don't care about this guy. He don't yeah. care about me. It's cool. I care about the people. I care about what's right and what's wrong. If it's right, I'll stand up and say something. I don't need to protect no endorsement deals. I don't mm. need to protect a record deal. I yeah. don't need to protect my brand because of anything because I'm independent. I can say what I want in my music and 
funny enough, since I've been doing that and changing it from doing the things I used to do when I was young, which was my environment then, so I was talking about other things. But now, because my environment's changed and I'm talking about this stuff in my music, people are really resonating with it. And everyone who relates to it, they want to buy tickets to the shows. They want to buy the merch. They, wanna, they, they feel like they have a voice through me. So yeah. that's what I use my platform for. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's it's one of the reasons why we, we're doing what we're doing in Our Future Choice, the idea that we want young people to get involved in politics by mm. seeing themselves in the discourse. The fact, exactly. that they, the fact that they see us on the news talking about these issues mm. makes them realise, hang on, this is something mm. that young people have a right to talk about mm-hmm. and that actually affects young people. Mm. And so it's, it's, a, it's the same sort of deal because if it's, if it's always people that don't look anything like you, don't, don't ha- haven't lived through anything like mm. you, what you've lived mm. through, that are talking about these decisions, then it's going to feel so far away. Yeah. So that's why it's important that the news, that, that the role models that we see on TV actually represents the people they're speaking to. This is why they used to get us to come into the schools just quickly, mm. because uh, when, when I was a bit mm. younger, the, 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 the bad behaved kids wouldn't listen to the teachers. Mm. So they'd be bad and they'd be put into a room like, shut up, you're mm. bad. Da, da, da. Teacher comes to tell them something. Mm. I don't want to hear it. Bye bye. Mm. They get me to come. Mm. They say, my brother, listen, this is what you need to do. Da, 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 da. Act this way. Mm. Do what you need to do with your work and you can be out of here. Cool. Mm behavior starts to stop i'm not saying we're out here just completely clicking our fingers and things are changing but they're relating to people like us so this is why i use that platform in that way yeah and that's and that's the whole point of the, of the show we're doing right now mm-hmm. so that people can actually see themselves reflected in the, in the important. conversation very important so if you if you guys could say one thing to Theresa may about immigration what would it be quickly um i would say stop using denigrating language and mm. um, think about what you're saying before you say it none of this citizen of the world citizen of nowhere rubbish yeah. Ch- just just change how you speak exactly marcy i'll put my message in my next song <laughs> excellent <laughs> excellent <laughs> free speaking speaking it. speaking of your songs thank you very much for, for, for joining us um and I'm, I'm just going to play marcy's song liberties oh. yes brother Hot all black black air max on my feet Hot out rocking all black Hi, we're back. Um, I'm, I'm here with Seb Dance. Uh, he's the deputy leader for Euro Labour, so he's one of our members of the European Parliament, representing us in Brussels to the European Union. Uh, I actually I've actually go back a fair way with with Seb because um, we we have something in common. We're both. Uh, <laughs> Let's say not fans of Nigel Farage, uh, because uh, I, I call it Nigel Farage and I'm a bit of a pain. Not, um, Seb actually sat behind Nigel Farage in one of the uh, uh, sessions of the European Parliament in front of the whole for the whole world to see. And whilst Nigel Farage was speaking, he wrote on uh, on a piece of paper, "He's lying to you," and held it up behind Nigel Farage for a good solid minute. Um, he got he got told off, but uh, now that piece of paper is framed in his office, which I found. <laughs> Absolutely legendary. It's a bit conceited of me, but you know what can I say? <laughs> but yeah, so he's he, he, he's the legend that is representing representing us um, in um, in the European Parliament. Now, I wanted to know about. I mean, this whole Brexit thing. I mean, mm. it, it puts. It means that the representation, the, the work that you've been doing, it would come to an end if Brexit actually goes mm. ahead, mm. which means that we'd lose our voice in Europe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's what forty plus years of directly elected representation mm. in the European Parliament. Uh, well, certainly coming up to the 40th anniversary. Mm. Um, you know, that means that obviously British voices have been very 
uh, prominent in the formation of many of uh, the rules and regulations that that form the uh, the, the the backbone of European law. So we have been a huge influencing member state in the whole process, whether that be through the Council uh, or indeed through the Parliament. So yeah, we'd lose all of that, but as you know, we'd still be subject to it. So that is Brexit. Basically, we lose control for no discernible gain. But I mean, there, there were like, there's 73 of you, right? 70, mm. 73 British members of the European Parliament yeah. out of 750, I think. 751. 751, yeah. which means that we have about, was that 10% of the voting weight of the yeah, EU? Yeah, it's roughly that. And obviously what we do is we sit with our political grouping mm-hmm. so in the Labour Party we're members of the Socialist and Democrat uh, group in mm-hmm. the European Parliament it's the second biggest group mm-hmm. and we have a lot of influence you know we have uh, a big say over key bits of legislation um, the Tories mm-hmm. are part of the third largest group the, the ECR, ECR that's it? correct yeah um, they sort of formed it together with uh, you know elements of the, of the right on, yeah. on, on, yeah. Uh, in, in Poland and other countries they form this kind of strange group which if Brexit goes ahead uh, will certainly doesn't look as if it's going to survive uh, the next election but anyway that that means they have less influence really because they're not part of the uh, second uh, yeah. sorry the largest which group, is the europe which is the christian the europe the epp epp yeah, yeah. What's the that people's party the european people's party. european people's party <laughs> uh, and so so yeah the tories decided not to be in the biggest party they and in did. favor of a, of a more right-leaning party yeah and that was the start of this whole mess really well i mean arguably maastricht in 92 mm. is the start of this mm. whole mess but that was the start of this uh, pre- you know precipitous uh, 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 decline in British influence, if you like, and that was a decision, of course, taken by the former Prime Minister David Cameron. So you're saying that we have what is it? So we have 10% of the voting weight of the EU, which means we have three times the voting weight of the average EU country. Mm-hmm. And one of our major, one of our major parties, the Tories, they decided to go into a less influential group. Mm. And at the same time, we had the last European elections where UKIP won, mm. and UKIP is a bunch of people who go there to simply insult people. And then we decided that we didn't have enough influence in Europe? Is that, is yeah, that that's, that's not a bad summation of it, yeah. Okay, okay. So that's, that, that's, that's comforting to know. <laughs> um, but as you, as you mentioned, with this whole Brexit thing, we're going to be copying the rules of the EU anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, the transition itself is um, obviously... The, the most extreme example, if you, if you like, of that, because mm. we'll, be, we'll be following literally every single mm. uh, rule, new rule, directive, etc., that comes uh, up from the Parliament and the Commission in the next uh, two or so years. But it's unthinkable, absolutely unthinkable, that by the end uh, of uh, the uh, provisional, uh, provisionally planned time for the transition, that we would have in place the future trading relationship, mm. because we have spent two and a half years arguing, exactly, arguing over a piece of paper that is 16 pages long with, with, with no detail in it and a lot of questions Uh, so the idea that you know brexit will be sorted somehow if we uh, approve this deal and and just kind of move on and talk about other things Mm. think about all of the oxygen that's being sucked up by this we're not talking about housing we're not talking about the nhs we're not talking about any of the issues that are really pressing out there and people are feeling on a day-to-day basis we are talking brexit 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 and that will carry on for years if this deal gets approved precisely i mean quite simply um we need to move on and we need we need to actually deal with some of the issues that actually matter to people like for example the nhs like the like the lack, lack of job options for young people for example uh, and i mean they they, they spent they've employed seven thousand civil servants to deal with brexit plans for nine thousand more and 300 to deal with border mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. not doctors not teachers not mm-hmm. improving education mm-hmm. not the issues that actually matter to mm-hmm. young people they're just doing a brexit and like i said it's sucking all the oxygen on out of the room i mean mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned before, the immigration system that they're looking to set up means that we would have, in order to come to this country, you need to be making at least £30,000. Mm-hmm. Now, as, this, as the Brexit agreement says, 
the future immigration will be based on full reciprocity, which means mm. the EU will do the same thing to us. Mm. Now, if they do that, that means that young people in this country who want the right to explore across Europe, yeah. they'd have to be making £30,000. And suffice to say, my first job, I was not making £30,000. Yeah. It creates an elitist system that has basically Absolutely. narrowed the opportunities of entire generation of British people. And Absolutely. I think it's completely wrong. Absolutely. And you nailed it on, on the head there, Femi, because mm. this is about entrenching mm. what, what basically has always been a divide. If you have money, mm. it's not a problem. You can travel the world. Yeah. You can go and settle wherever, the, you know, wherever you want, basically. The world is literally your oyster. It's not a problem. For most people, it is a problem because, you know, people cannot uproot uh, at and go and work somewhere else and live somewhere else if they don't have the resources to do so. And freedom of movement equalizes. Now, of course, it doesn't equalize it for everybody. Inequality is still yeah. the most pressing issue that we face, but yeah. it helps. It helps and it creates a level playing field for citizens across the whole of Europe. And for the first time in many, many years, the, uh, the uh, citizens of this country, uh, British citizens, young British citizens, will be the only uh, people in Europe unable to travel, yeah. work, study, uh, fall in love, you know, full about whatever it is you want to do with your life we'll be the only ones unable to do that in our own continent it's a disgrace and we'll be competing in the job market against people that will have the ability to say oh i've worked in this country this country this country Mm -hmm. and we'll be the only ones that are stuck or at least those of us not making 30k will be Mm. the only ones that will be stuck and it's because of it's because of a brexit that is about about to really slam that. I mean, I've spoken to people who genuinely believed that they would keep the right to live, work, and love in 31 countries mm. across Europe, mm. despite voting for Brexit. Mm. And I think we, we do, I mean, uh, we've, what we've seen there, Richard Barfield on Twitter has pointed out that uh, a, poll, a Comres poll shows that the priority of people that voted for Brexit 66% thought they'd maintain access to the single market. Mm. 31 uh, thought their, pri- their priority was um, restricting freedom of movement. So it was actually a mm. minority issue mm. who actually held immigration as a priority. Mm. But the result of Brexit is that we've now, as I mentioned before, Europe's our home. We're mm. knocking down 97% of our home and claiming mm. victory. Mm. And, 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 and as you say, others in the rest of Europe will be able to avail themselves of those opportunities. Yeah. So we're putting ourselves at an immediate disadvantage at a time when technology is changing the world at work. What is it that, the, that, that people are going to be employed doing? It's going to be analytical skills. It's going to be the ability to have networks and to build those networks. Mm. And we are basically saying to the next generation, yeah, actually, you can't have what we have mm. uh, because you know, we're going to pull the rug from underneath yeah. your feet. And to have our prime minister celebrate that as the key mm. win from her negotiation, it really, really sticks in the throat. And, and as you said, it's pulling the ro- pulling the pulling the ladder up. I mean, Nigel Farage, the guy who sort of led this whole thing, he's got a German wife, German kids, and he could bugger off to, to, well, to, to uh, Europe whenever, whenever he wants. This was pointed out by one, one of uh, actually the EPP colleague in, in the European Parliament uh, uh, who pointed out that this was the definition of hypocrisy, and he sort yeah. of sat there and you know did his usual sort of uh, uh, shrugging and whatever. But mm. she's right. She's absolutely spot on. This is the definition of hypocrisy. What you, what I have, what I can avail myself of, you can't have. Yeah, but I think what our listeners really want to know from you is, what is the mood in Europe regarding mm, Brexit? Mm. I mean, what, how do they feel about us? I mean, <laughs> I, I know that's a, compl- a complicated question, but I mean, we want to know... I mean, we, right now, there's a massive drive to actually just call this whole thing off and that we should actually stay in the European Union. How do they feel about that notion? Does, does it get sure. talked about? It does. Mm. Um I think things are changing very quickly. They're changing very quickly, obviously, here. Mm. Uh, you see the leading proponents of Brexit now suddenly saying, oh, actually, we'd rather stay in the EU than accept this deal. Mm. Um, I think what has happened in the European Union, first of all, there was, you know, two years ago, two and a half, or sorry, three years ago with the, with the, with the referendum, there was a lot of shock. 
uh, there was a lot of sadness yep. um, and there was a determination to kind of work this process through and, and see what would happen you know lots yep. of people thought that maybe we would change our minds and uh, and other people thought well we've got to work through this and we'll, we'll, we'll do the best we can what followed was red line after red line insult after insult you know the citizens of nowhere speech the Lancaster House speech um, you know all the way through right up until this this hideous jumping the queue remark that the Prime Minister made yep. and that has soured no question that has soured uh, our reputation uh, worse than than anything I can remember in my uh, relatively still very young uh, short <laughs> life lifespan um, you know that it's going to take a long time just to recover from that reputational hit but there still remain obviously people my colleagues uh, who say look you know ultimately it's not in our interest at a time when the geopolitics of this is very uncertain we mm. need to stick together to solve key things like for example climate change yep. you know it's not in anybody interest in any in anybody's interest that you leave and I think now given the impasse over the deal the yep. fact that it let's face it probably won't get passed yep. at least the first time the only uh, way out it, is that we stop the things only, the only way out is that we at least put this to the people and i think look the choice here is we know we now know what Brexit looks like. It's a 585 piece of paper spelling out how we're going to be poorer with less say. Mm. That's what Brexit is. Yeah. Put that to against staying in to the people. That is the choice that we have now. And I think you know, in any functioning democracy, civil society, that choice would be available. Excellent. Thank you very much, Seb. It's great to talk to you as usual. Hopefully, we'll see you in Brussels soon. I'm actually coming on, sun- on oh, Sunday. Oh, good. Yes, I'm not there, but I, you know, another time. Definitely. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Cool. Cheers. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information go to foobarradio.com.